This morning, we're uh, continuing our series we're calling Disconnected. Um, we are becoming more and more disconnected as, as a culture, as, as a people, as our experience, all of it. We're feeling the disconnection more and more in our lives. And, and what's interesting is as we're feeling more and more disconnected, it's kind of, there's a paradox here because we feel more and more disconnected, yet at the same time, um, we are more connected than ever before, especially through technology. We can text our friends in just a a second, and they can text us back. We can be more connected, yet we feel disconnected. It's really an interesting thing. Now, um, what we wanted to look at in this series is, well, what in the world does the Bible have to say about disconnection? Um, and really, if we take the Bible seriously, we take this book right here very seriously, and we read the story while we're diligent students of this book, what we find, if you boil it down, this book is a book about connection and disconnection and then reconnection. It's a story about God creating um, all things and wanting to have a personal relationship with all of those things. And certainly the people um, wanted to have a connection. And it was so. And then it wasn't so anymore. And sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And the, the relationship between the creation and the creator was damaged. The, the connection was, was broken in some way. And literally the rest of the Bible, if you read the rest of this book, it is all about God's rescue plan to reconnect himself to God's creation. And so the Bible obviously has a lot to say on this topic. Um, now, so far, we've taken a look at a couple different ways we're seeing um, a disconnection in, in our world. Um, we looked culturally. Culturally, we're all beginning to feel more and more fragmented, more and more disconnected from each other and what we believe and how we experience the world and all that. And Pastor Chuck last week um, said, even the way we perceive reality is becoming more and more disconnected from each other. And this morning, um, what we wanted to do is, is we wanted to make it a lot smaller um, because there is a disconnection that each of us is feeling even within ourselves these days in a way that perhaps we haven't really felt before. Um, it seems that we're growing more and more disconnected from ourselves. Uh, we don't even know ourselves like we used to anymore. And if you're thinking, what in the world is John talking about? Um, let's get to our scripture reading and then we will dive into that. Um, our scripture reading this morning is from 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And Daryl Ross is our scripture reader. Daryl's already headed on up. What we do here, church, if you're able to, is we stand for the reading of God's word and we face the center of the room where it is read. It's because scripture is central. And this is a great reminder to us week after week after week. So, Daryl, when you are ready for 1 John 3, uh, take it away. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And what... Is, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And who have this hope 
in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Thank you, Daryl. You all may be seated. So in uh, January of this year, um, Forbes magazine um, reported on a new study that was out. Um, and the study was about, um, it, it tried to measure the amount of time that the average American is looking at a screen each and every day. Um, like the average amount of time that we're looking at a TV or a smartphone or computer, all compounded and added together, what would that number be? And the results are pretty stellar. It's actually kind of shocking. According to the study, Americans in 2019 on average have their eyes fixed to a screen for over, you ready? 12 hours a day. 12 hours a day, which is totally crazy, isn't it? It's pretty amazing. That means that literally half of our lives these days is spent staring at a screen. Our kids, perhaps, will spend more time on a screen than they will doing anything else in their lives. And that includes sleeping, which is pretty amazing. Today, um, most of us in this room um, will we'll head on off and we'll disperse and we'll go off and do the things we do. Um, but on average, today, those of us in this room will spend 12 hours a day looking at a screen. Now, obviously, um, there's some things that bias the study, right? Um, today, when we work, many of us work from a screen. We work from a screen from the beginning of the day into the end of the day. But even if you take that into account, let's say... Um, that we all work eight hours a day and we look at a screen for all eight hours of that day. And let's say that we do that seven days a week. We don't even get days off. And eight hours a day, seven days a week, that still leaves us with 28 more hours of the week that we dedicate to screens. It's pretty amazing. The question is, um, why? Why are screens such a big deal for us these days. Um, why do we choose to be on screens even when we don't have to so regularly and so often? In fact, many folks um, are on screens so much that they're on screens in times when they're not supposed to be. I don't know if you've had this experience, but you pull up to a red light. There is a car in front of you, and then you're sitting there waiting to go, and then the light turns green, and then nothing happens. I don't know if you've had that experience. And then you do like the polite honk, and you feel really bad about the honk, but you got to get moving, right? You honk, and then you see the person's head in the car in front of you, you go like this. Oh, and then they start driving away, and they're really angry at you usually as well. Um, also, there are YouTube channels, and there are Instagram accounts that are purely there to account for people being on their screens at the wrong time, not paying attention, and then bad things happening to them as a result. It's magic. I love this stuff. Um, I just did like a 10-second Google search, and I found this kind of stuff. Lady walking, lady looking at iPad, lady falling into scary cellar. That's where that one goes. Um, and there's another one. Uh, guy walking, falls into fountain, flounders in fountain, and maybe drowns. I don't know what happens in the third one there. What I love about this one is the guy in blue on the left of this picture is in the scene, right? He totally saw the whole thing happen. And then the next two scenes, nowhere to be found. Doesn't care. I love that. There's no mercy in our society. Um, the report in Forbes 
also mentioned another important finding um, uh, from the study on screen time. Uh, part of it was they measured um, screen time for adolescents and uh, or teenagers. And one of the major findings they found was that as teenagers' screen time went up, um, so did their risk for depression went up. So rates of depression are rising in our country at about the same rate that our screen time is rising in our country, which is at least something interesting to think about. There is a correlation between depression and the rise of depression in our country and screen time. It maybe isn't the whole thing, but there is a connection there. And lots of people are asking, why? Like, what is going on here? Why is it that when I look at a screen all day long, I become depressed? And there's all kinds of reasons, right, that people have come up with. Um, some scientists have said that it's actually like an addiction thing, that people get on screens and these software companies create the software in such a way that it releases dopamine into our brains. The, the, the reward center in our brains are kind of lit up as we play around on our phones. And so every time we turn on our phone, dopamine is released and it makes us feel good. And so we go back again and again and again. Some are saying it's an addiction. That we're actually addicted to our technology today. Which I think um, is something to at least think about. But I wonder, is something else going on too. I wonder if one of the reasons um, that screen time is way up and depression is way up in our kids and probably in us as well if we're honest is because uh, screens distract us from ourselves and we actually don't mind that. We actually like it that way. Think about this. You have moments in your life, right, where you're anxious, or you're fearful, or you're angry, or you're uh, feeling confusion, or you're feeling lonely, or whatever the feeling it is you may be feeling. And in these moments, and I see my kids do it all the time, and I see myself do it all the time, what do we do? We turn on the TV, we open our iPads, we get on our phone and start texting to make ourselves feel better to distract ourselves from those negative feelings. When we are plugged into our screens, we take ourselves, our emotions, our bodies, kind of out of the equation. We're just floating brains that are absorbing information in some sense. Um, today, um, you, every single day, will absorb five times more information than, a, than an American 50 years ago. Think about that. It's really interesting. Now, I kind of use screens uh, to check out from myself a lot. And this week I just did an experiment and I tried to pay attention every time I did that. And I had three moments this week where that happened. Maybe you can relate to this. There was a moment when I was waiting in line and I was standing waiting in line alone. And by habit, I reached in my pocket, grabbed my phone and then got on and then started texting. And I had no reason to do so. Maybe you've done something like that. I also had a moment, and this is more hypothetical. Um, I was writing my message for this Sunday, and there was this difficult part where I just couldn't get over this one thing in the message. And then magically, I can't tell you how this happened, Facebook popped up on my computer, just popped up. And there we were, scrolling on Facebook. Perhaps you've had that moment too. This week, there was a moment when I got home, and I got frustrated with my kids, and my way of dealing with that frustration was to sit on my couch and open my iPad and tune them out. Perhaps you've had that moment too. I guess actually this would be true for many of us. This is 
the thing that we do these days. Today, we are using technology to disconnect us from us. If we stay plugged into our screens, we don't have to deal with the reality of our feelings or anxiety or loneliness or whatever it is that we may be feeling. And when we are disconnected from ourselves for long enough, it is reasonable that depression comes in to be our friend as well. That is a guess. Now, it's not just screens that disconnect us these days, right? When you are catching up with a friend these days, and you say, how is life? How are you doing? What's the response that everyone gets? Any idea? Busy. Oh, life is so busy right now. Have you, have you experienced this? How are you doing? Oh, busy. We are really busy. We use busyness to disconnect ourselves from ourselves. We use lots of other things to disconnect ourselves from ourselves. And the real question is, why do we avoid being connected to ourselves? Like, what is going on here? Why wouldn't we turn off the iPad and be present with ourselves and get to know ourselves well? And that question is a biblical question. Why? In fact, in the first couple pages of the Bible, we get the story of God creating the world. I mean, if you have your Bible, I would turn there. It's Page 1, if you didn't know, uh, Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we get the creation story where God creates all things. And then we get to Genesis 2. And Genesis 2 is like this extra detail about how humans were created. And then we get to Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is the story of the fall. It's the story where sin enters the world, right? It's where things start breaking apart. And there's this important moment in Genesis 3 that I want you to see this morning. Um, it's in Genesis 3, starting in verse 6, if you're there. Um, if you want to read along with me, this is what it says. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They take fruit, and then they eat this fruit. And the first thing that they notice when they do this is they look down, and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm naked. You know, like that's an awkward thing, I guess. Um, First time they notice it, if sin enters the world, the first thing that they notice is that they're naked, and they decide to cover themselves up. This is the first time in human history where humans felt a disconnection from themselves. The first time where they saw a dissonance even within themselves. They looked at their own body and they found it lacking and so they hid it from their own gaze. And frankly, ever since that moment, that is exactly what we have been doing with our own bodies, hiding our bodies. Now, the obvious thing is, you know, we wear clothes. I think everyone in the room is dressed, which is good. Let's keep it that way. Um, But we have learned way better ways at hiding than doing things like simply putting clothes on. Of course, uh, we are really good at distracting ourselves so we don't even notice ourselves anymore, like through screens, like through busyness, Like through, if I can be at work 80 hours a week, I don't have to sit there and be with myself, right? I can just work myself to death, and that is better than actually getting to know this guy, right? We have great ways of hiding ourselves from ourselves. Um, Behind me, if you hadn't noticed, is a mirror here. 
I'm not going to touch it because it will definitely fall over. Um, have you ever had the moment where you're sitting there and there's a mirror and you notice another person um, noticing themselves in the mirror? Have you ever noticed how weird that moment is? Like it's weird every single time. Um, there's some people where they're walking and I see this and then they catch a glimpse of themselves in the mirror and there's a moment maybe of panic, but despair is definitely there. And what they do as quickly as possible is they step away from the mirror and now they don't have to see themselves anymore and life is good again, right? You've probably seen this before. Then there's something else that happens. Um, people are walking and they make it to the mirror and they notice themselves in the mirror and something even weirder happens. Like immediately we start grooming ourselves. Have you seen this? Like hands in the hair, got to touch up the makeup. Um, we got to correct our posture. Oh, we were slouching a little bit. Better stand up straighter. I don't know if you've had this experience. Um, some of us do this thing. Um, I call it the gut suck, right? Like you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, that's not pretty. And so you're like, there we go. I look better now. Like everything's all right. We pretend we're thinner, right? I don't know if you've had this experience. Have you ever wondered why we do these things? When we look in the mirror, because when we catch a glimpse of ourselves, the first thing we notice are all the things that are wrong with us, right? And, and why is that? All the things we don't like about ourselves, all the things we feel bad about, our weight, our, our wrinkles, our hairstyle, and that's just like the exterior of us that we experience. But there's an internal world too, right? Some of us, when we look in the mirror, we see a lot of things on the inside that we don't want to see. We have shame. There's other stuff that's going on there. You see, when we catch our reflection in a mirror, we are immediately taken back to that Genesis 3 story. We look at ourselves and we say, oh, we need to cover up. That needs to get covered up with makeup or manicuring or muscle. I don't care. We're going to cover this thing up, right? That's what we do. And it's important to notice this because it tells us deep down the first way that we choose to identify ourselves or understand ourselves in this world, that we are inherently defective or we don't add up or we don't have our stuff together or something is off, right? That's the first thing we notice about ourselves when we look into a mirror. Meaning, for most of us, perhaps all of us in this room, the lens that we use to assess our personal value and identity is a Genesis 3 fall lens. That first and foremost, when we see ourselves, we see something broken. We see something wrong. We see something fallen. We see that we don't measure up in some way. And you see, if this is how we understand ourselves in our world today, we understand ourselves through this Genesis 3 lens, right? This fallen lens, this broken lens. It makes all the sense in the world that we would do everything we can to stay off this mirror so we don't have to see ourselves, right? We don't want to see that. We are broken. So we tune out. Let's just get on the screens. Then I don't have to deal with myself at all. Uh, if I'm busy, like I don't have to deal with the broken self, right? Like I can just be busy and just go on autopilot. If I can just buy into work and every moment that I have a chance, I'm going to be there. Then I don't have to worry about myself. If I can just distract myself from myself, life is going to be good, right? But here's the thing. 
The story of the fall in Genesis is in Genesis 3. And God has a lot to say about us before that moment. In fact, the first word about us that God uses is that we were created in God's image. It's the first thing God wants us to know, that we're good and we are created in God's image. If you have your Bible, open up to uh, Genesis 1, 27 a second. And take a look there. It's a pretty familiar passage for some of us. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The first thing that God says about us is that we were made in the image of God, which means a couple things, right? It means that we have a vocation. We have a job. And our job is to image God to the world in what we do and what we say and what we act and how we treat people, right? It's a really big deal. That is a job for us. But more is going on in this passage. See, being created in the image of God means that when the world catches a glimpse of you, when you're at your best, when you're at your worst, when you are put together, when you are falling apart, it doesn't matter. When the world catches a glimpse of you, God shines through still. Think about that. You image God no matter what you do, because it's intrinsic in who you are. Your identity is the image of God first. That's first order business. And of course, after this, right, God says, you are, you know, you're in my image, and then Genesis 3 happens, and the fall happens, and the fruit happens, and the shame happens, and all that stuff happens. But even so, in the story of this book right here, never one time does God say, oh, you're not in the image of God anymore. Like, that's broken. That's cracked. The image, it, it's, it's broken, right? It's all cracked. It, no one can see me through you anymore. God never says that. Ever. You are first and foremost, no matter how big of a wreck your life is or how put together you think your life is, you still are in the image of God. That's your first order identity. What if we actually believed that? Like what if when we were walking and we came across the mirror and we saw ourselves, the first thing that we actually thought was, oh, image of God. Image of God. Look at that. There it is. I'm in God's image in some amazing way. What if that's the first thing that we thought? Wow, I'm in the image of God. I wonder if, if we actually believed this, if, if all those ways that we're disconnected to ourselves and all the ways that we zone out and check out in our lives, I, I wonder if we actually believed that first, if we wouldn't feel the need to do that is often. The first word that God gives us is that you and I are created in God's image, and God doesn't stop there. As scripture goes, we get to the New Testament, and then we get to our scripture reading um, of the morning. If you take your Bible and you turn to 1 John 3 a second, follow along here with me. John is writing, and he says, 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. John says, in verse, uh, uh, in verse 2 here, he says, Dear friends, now, now we are children of God. Right now, in this moment, John says, as he's writing to this group of people, now we are the children of God. There was a time, John says, when we imaged God, and that's what God said about us. That was God's last word. But there's another word now. Now we are actually children of God. And you see, that was really the whole point of what Jesus did in his life, in his ministry, right? Jesus came and was born and had a ministry and gathered crowds and then was sentenced to a cross and then died on the cross and resurrected and then ascended to the Father. And the reason God did that is so that God could say one more word about each of us, that you and I are daughters and sons of God, and that is who you are. That's your identity. That is who you are. God's last word that we have is that you, through faith in Jesus, can be a son or daughter of God. That's who you are. Meaning when we take a look in the mirror, we say, hey, maybe I can see, you know, I'm in the image of God. That's right. No, no, no. It's bigger than that. When we look in the mirror, we can say, oh, that's God's family in the mirror. And what if we actually believed that? What if we believed not so much in this Genesis 3 way of understanding ourselves where we're broken and bad and everything's cracked and yada yada. What if it was that first John 3 thing? Oh, the first thing I know about myself is that I am a son of God and, and you're daughters of God. What if that's the first thing we understood about ourselves? That we are family to God. That God loves us unconditionally, just like God would love family. That's how God views us. That's our identity. That is who we are. Listen, guys. When you look in the mirror, what do you see right now? When you look in the mirror and you see yourself, what do you see? What's the first thing you see? Maybe you see brokenness. Maybe you see flaws in your body. Maybe you see the mistakes that you've made in your life and you don't even want to come face to face with that in your life. Maybe you see your weakness or the addiction or that sin pattern that you've had and you've had for a long time. Maybe you see that secret, right? There's this thing you did and no one knows and you hold that with you. That's what you see every time you look in the mirror. Maybe it's something else, some other flaw with yourself, something negative, something broken. Of course, if this is the stuff that we believe about ourselves, this is the first order, of course we would zone out and check out a life. Of course we would. I don't want to deal with myself if that's it. And neither do you. But what if God sees something more in you? And what if the big invitation is, is that God desperately wants you to look in the mirror and say, oh, you should see something more too. You're in the image of God. 
You're, you're a son and daughter of God. That's, that's who you actually are. You know, in a second, I'm going to pray. And after the prayer, um, Angie is going to come up here and she's going to sing a song. It's a pretty powerful song. Um, it's a song called You Say by Lauren Daigle. Perhaps you know that one. It's a song about all of the judgments that we make about ourselves, right? All the flaws that we see in our lives, all the things we say, all the negative talk, all the thing, things people say about us, right? And the song really rests in the fact that it, it doesn't matter because it matters what God says about us. It's an invitation to believe. Perhaps this morning you need to do some business with God. Maybe you've got some harsh self-talk going on. Maybe you believe some things about yourself that you think are the core of your identity and God has something else to say. When we listen to this song after the prayer, I invite you to do some business with God. Lay it all out there to him. Listen to the words of the song and listen to it as God is speaking to you. Because maybe God has something to say to you this morning. So let me pray. God, we recognize that in Genesis 3, everything became disconnected in our lives and all around us, God. And usually the last order business for us is to deal with the disconnection inside of us, the things we actually believe about ourselves. God, we thank you that you started the story calling us your image bearers and you ended the story saying your family. God, help us believe that. Some of us come from really difficult situations and that's a tough pill to swallow that we might be worthy in your eyes and lovable, God. During this song, God, I ask that you communicate that. Send your spirit upon us. Help us listen to your voice. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen, church.